Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Hey, good morning. I want to know how you approach God. How do you approach God? Spiritually, we could certainly answer that a question um, from a Christian worldview. View we could say we approach God through the access that is offered to us by Jesus Christ. We approach God in the name of Jesus. We approach God by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I'm thinking more physically here. How physically do you tend to approach God when you approach God? Now I recognize we live moment by moment in God's presence, but let's admit there are times when we intentionally turn our attention to the reality that God is and we approach him with particular requests. So think for a moment about the last time you approached God with something. How did you come to him? How did you approach him? How did you draw near to God with whatever it was that was on your heart and mind in the moment? When you approach God, when you turn to God and ask for something of him, what posture do you take? How do you approach God? So I'm aware that I have like, well, several answers to that question, but I'll offer you two this morning because I I have two really distinct postures depending on what like the I don't know, the depth of my desperation, maybe is the way I'll describe it. So I'm aware that there are times when, um, like I'm holding on for dear life and going to God with that kind of prayer. And in those times, I would describe myself as having a, a beggar's posture, fingers intertwined, squeezing the blood out of my own hands, on my knees, draped over an ottoman or the side of the bed or a chair, desperate pleading prayer through tears and groans and cries that only God could understand. You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. Utterly unaware of anyone else in the room, certainly not aware of myself. Desperate pleading prayer. I confess that more often than that, I am in what I would describe as an open-handed prayer. I don't, I don't pray with my fingers intertwined and my hands clasped in such a way that I'm <clears throat> squeezing the blood out of them. I, more often than not, pray open-eyed and open-handed, like expectant. Prayers with my hands open before the Lord um, or cupped before the Lord reaching out and reaching up, offering the prayer to God and in a very open-handedly way, expecting God to answer and give whatever he gives. So as we consider today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, I, 
I want you to consider the posture of prayer. Yes, I know that this is a passage of scripture about generosity, but we come before an extraordinarily generous God, and I want to talk about the posture in which we do that. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now, certainly, this is a passage of Scripture about generous living. This proverb is a wisdom saying related to material wealth and meeting the material needs of others. Um, In the words of Solomon, uh, meeting the needs of others who need to be refreshed. So, let's pause and ask ourselves, who do I know today who needs to be refreshed? And how might God be sending me Um, as a conduit of his resources to answer their prayers. So there are people today on their knees, draped over an ottoman, snot running out of their nose, unaware of themselves, hands uh, clasped, pleading with God for daily bread. And we want to be conduits of his grace to them, absolutely. Every good and perfect gift ultimately comes from God. But more often than not, those gifts actually flow through the lives and hands of other people. You and I have nothing that we did not first receive. And none of it, literally none of it, no amount of wealth amassed here on earth, no matter matter how much you've stored up in barns or a 501k or an asset account or whatever, none of it is worth comparing to the glory that waits us as co-heirs of the kingdom of God. Freely we have received. Let us freely give. God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know why? God is a cheerful giver. So go to him today with open hands. Ask God to fill your hands that you, in turn, might pass on what you have received to others. Now, all eyes are on Ohio across the country as uh, they consider uh, and uh, uh, an amendment to their state constitution. It is related to life and abortion. And so next up, we're going to talk with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith about uh, about that. Are your eyes, uh, where are your eyes today? Well, my eyes are on the Lord, but my eyes are also on Ohio. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us, Dr. Mark Caleb Smith, big fancy dean now mm-hmm, of things at Cedarville University. Good morning. Do I call you dean? Do I call you doctor? Do you have some fancy new title I should be using? Did you get a bigger uh, Mark, hat? <laughs> I got bigger bow ties. Yeah, they're now like clamp size <laughs> bow ties. Yeah, to signify my prominence. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, yes, well. Uh, we we do appreciate your willingness to continue to join us. It's a blessing. Um, you have written uh, at um, BereansAtTheGate.com. For those uh, who want to read about what you and I are going to be talking about, you've written about this reality that all eyes are on Ohio right now. Why are we looking at Ohio? What's at issue? Well, it's a good question because uh, there's an issue and there's the bigger issue. So, I mean, the technical issue on the ballot today is about how Ohioans can amend their own constitution. Um, But the larger issue is how does this process affect other things like abortion, 
uh, transgender rights and other and, and other other things. So, but today we're we're really voting on uh, how do we amend our document. Um, the proposal today is to make it more difficult to amend the Constitution through an initiative process. Uh, it would require not just a simple majority of voters to support a constitutional amendment at the polls, but it would require a 60% threshold, um, which is significant. And this is all critical because coming up in November, uh, there is an issue on our ballot uh, that deals with uh, protecting the right to an abortion. And so practically speaking, today's vote will impact how much of a percentage of the vote that vote requires in order to amend the Ohio Constitution. Mm-hmm. So this is... Um... It's essential that people show up to vote on days like this, because today's vote really does impact how much your vote counts in the future, how many votes would be required in the future to do something as significant as amend the Constitution. So Ohio's Constitution um, has been amended a number of times. um, And in that process, it has it has changed in what ways, Mark? Uh, it's changed a good number of ways. Um, you know, it, it's defined marriage traditionally, of course, before the Supreme Court stepped in. Uh, it has been amended to allow for casinos and gambling. It's been mm. attempted to be amended dealing with marijuana and a variety of other things. And a lot of these campaigns that have been uh, undertaken in Ohio have been done primarily by external forces. So people from outside the state see a state where it's relatively easy to amend the Constitution. They pour a bunch of money into the state collect a bunch of signatures, push something onto the ballot, and then try to use that process to change our laws. Um, and so from that perspective, I can understand exactly where the Republicans and the General Assembly are coming from. You know, this just sort of seems ripe for abuse. Um, and it seems to open up Ohio for business and external interest to come in and do as they wish to our politics. Um, of course, right now, uh, we're talking about these hot button culture war kinds of issues like abortion. Uh, but abortion isn't the only thing of concern. Uh, You can imagine how the amendment could be used in the future for a variety of purposes. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're going to encourage people to become informed about what's, you know, what are the initiatives in the places where you live? um, What are the initiatives and what's behind that? Because, you know, on the on the surface, you know, I don't know if this sounds good or bad, actually, Mark, like it's hard to judge (laughs) what. A little hard to judge. So um, uh, tell us again, um, what is actually on the ballot today? And then walk out what you think some of the implications of of it would be if it were, in fact, to pass. So what's on the ballot today is Ohioans will decide uh, whether or not a simple majority of our citizens are necessary to amend the Ohio Constitution or whether it would require 60% of us to vote to change the Ohio Constitution. Um, What you're really talking about there is how much popular input should go into changing the Constitution versus how much should it be really the uh, the role of our General Assembly and elected officials to really push that process. So how much democracy do you want? That's kind of what what we're talking about today. Uh, the direct implications, November, we have the issue of abortion coming under our ballot. Uh, if issue one is voted up today, um, then it'll take 60% of Ohioans to enshrine a pro-choice amendment to our Constitution in November. If issue one fails today, then it will take a simple majority of Ohioans, 50% plus one person, 
uh, to enshrine a pro-choice amendment in our constitution. So it's it, it matters. Uh, but like you said, today is a Tuesday in the, in the beginning of August. Mm-hmm. Uh, low turnout election would be most likely expected. And so we should have every incentive to turn out to vote. <sighs> I, I don't. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't I don't like it when people um, think that they can create a pathway that um, that favors them and just recognizing that the next time around they they might regret that they made made it harder to do or made it easier to do something like I just it's it's complicated I recognize that I'm so thankful for your willingness to come and talk with us about it um and I think that for most of us across the country who are not voting today on anything let's be praying for those who are and um and and as always that God's will be done and just recognizing that um, we we live in the midst of of challenging days, and sometimes people seek to use the process um, and game the process in order to ensure the outcome they think they want. And then sometimes we get a tiger by the tail. So, um, Mark, uh, as always, thank you so much, and thank you for what uh, you've written on this. If you want to read what Mark uh, Caleb Smith has written, BereansAtTheGate.com is the place where you will find it. And he and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. There's a lot of other um, abortion-related ballot measures this year across the country and looking into next year. So um, so we're going we're gonna to look at those next here on Mornings with Carmen. The Bible is valuable, and reading and studying the Bible can transform your life. Hi, I'm Angela Smith, host of Reading the Bible Together podcast. Several times a year, we release a new Reading the Bible Together study. We've studied Luke, Daniel, Advent, Lent, and so many more. You can access all of our studies for free by going to the Reading the Bible Together resource page at myfaithradio.com. In addition to the studies, we also have the accompanying podcast. You can listen wherever you listen to podcasts. You can study on your own, or if your small group or Bible study is looking for what to study next— Check out the Reading the Bible Together resource page at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. Um, Mark, we have talked a little bit about the reality that uh, people in Ohio are going to have an opportunity to vote on November the 7th of this year to amend, amend the Ohio Constitution to provide a state constitutional right um, related to what's described as reproductive decisions. It, it would open um, as a constant or enshrine as a constitutional right decisions about abortion, contraception, fertility treatment, miscarriage care, and continuing pregnancy. Um, that is the only statewide ballot initiative this year, um, but there are a couple already uh, on the ballot for 2024. Can you tell us a little bit about Maryland and New York? Yeah, I mean, Maryland and New York are trying to um, enshrine protection for abortion rights as well. Um, and, I, you know, given the nature of the politics in Maryland and New York, I would think those those uh, efforts would not face all that much resistance. Um, Contrary to Ohio, which has had a pretty consistent conservative Republican bent over the last decade or so, Maryland and New York, needless to say, have not. 
Um, so you're right, Maryland, New York, trying to amend their documents for next year. Uh, this is also in light of recent efforts in places like uh, California, Michigan, and Vermont, which have successfully uh, changed their documents to protect abortion. Um, and so we, it seems to look, at least to me, it feels like that the uh, pro-choice approach is uh, has the upper hand, at least when it comes to these statewide initiatives, because we've also seen pro-life efforts fail uh, in places like uh, Kentucky, uh, Kansas, and Montana. You're looking for language um, in terms of what's going on in your own state. You're looking for language like the right to reproductive freedom amendment or the right to reproductive freedom initiative. Those are some of the some some of the words that are out there. Um, referendums on reproductive health. Those are the that's the kind of language you might be looking for. Um, there have been a number of proposed. Um, abortion-related actions across the country. Mark has referred to some of them. Um, But in other places, um, efforts have been uh, defeated as well. In Washington State, the 15-week abortion ban initiative um, failed. Um, There was a a paternal notification requirement referendum also in Washington that failed. Um, In Florida and in Hawaii, Um, efforts to put something on the ballot in 2024 related to abortion in both of those states, those efforts have failed. So I think that it's worth knowing what is happening in your own state. Ballotopia has has a really good readout in terms of what's going on state by state uh, across the country. And if you want that direct link, I'm happy to send it to you. You just text me 877-933-2484 and I'll um, I'll send you that, um, that link as well. Um, When we think about weighing all of this, um, issues related to life, not just abortion, but let's start there. When we think about weighing these issues and our vote, um, you know, we have a range of options in terms of political candidates. But I'll just confess, it's like nobody lines up perfectly with anybody else or your own views. So how do you weigh that when you're thinking about the person or the people you're going to vote for? So I look at, I try to think of uh, my own preferences, of course, but then I also try to look at what's possible in the political environment that I'm voting within. Um, Because I think sometimes it's very unhelpful. Uh, You know, I would really love for all the country's laws to be pro-life and to be as pro-life as I could have it. Um, That would, that's my conviction. That's what I think would be for the ultimate good. However, I also understand to force a candidate right now to that position in this environment might make that candidate unelectable. (laughs) And so we have to give our elected officials and the people that we might even prefer a little bit of latitude um, to maybe even take an incremental approach to something like this and say, you know, let's look at this as a long-term process. If we can put in place a, a little bit more modest ban right now, continue to persuade and win hearts and minds, and then think about what the future may look like in five years, or 10 years, that may be the better approach to this. Now, I understand that may sound um, unacceptable to many people because the nature of abortion, um, because they've it's a horrific wrong. But at the same time, if you're, if you're really trying to put in place significant change, dramatic change, it may not be able to happen all at once. Um, and so I think we've got to look at a little bit of latitude for our elected officials and even for our political candidates. Um, but it is really tough. And I understand people who come at it from a different angle. 
And I try to give them grace as well. You know, hopefully we can have these kind of difficult conversations within the pro-life movement uh, without fracturing and making our, our efforts even more difficult. Um, we have a listener asking a question to which I don't know the answer, um, and I'm guessing it is, you know, some sort of 90-day criteria. Is there a reason Ohio is voting today? Um, you know, it is the first week of August. It is still the middle of the summer for some people or, quote-unquote, vacation time. Um, is there some sort of 90-day requirement before the actual election to to do this? No, the, the reason we're voting today is that the General Assembly put forward this recommendation for the constitutional amendment and also put forward a request for it to be a special election in August. So it was their decision. And I think if we're honest about it, uh, the goal was to minimize electoral turnout mm. with the hope that more solidly pro-life voters would show up and others may not. And so it was their decision. They could have pushed it to November or pushed it to next year if the goal is to maximize turnout. Do we want a lot of people? I mean, you know, if I'm if I love democracy, I want a lot of people to show up to vote. Um, is that your sense of it, that that conservatives or Republicans want a lot of people to show up to vote today and others do not or vice versa? Uh, I think generally the Republicans in Ohio seem to be fearful of very large turnout around this issue. And mm. so they're trying to connect it to other issues that pe- people maybe are more passionate about. And so, yeah, I think they want smaller turnout if possible whereas the pro-choice advocates seem to be pushing turnout and want a broader want a broader outcome. So if this is a turnout election, I think the pro-life movement loses on this. All right, we'll be uh, lifting up our prayers today. And um, thank you so much, as always, Mark, for joining us. You guys can find Dr. Mark Caleb Smith at Cedarville University, and you can now find him in the dean's office. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. When you think about the health of the church today, what comes to mind? Like if you, we know that that the church is the body of Christ, like church, big C, is the body of Christ, universal, global, eternal, also temporal, limping along in this generation, like in a, in a very real way. So when you think about the church in whatever context you live in, when you think about the local church, um, is that like a robust, vibrant body of believers actively advancing and demonstrating the glory of God and actively advancing the kingdom in this generation? And um, is that, can you tell that Jesus is building his church where you are? Like, do you see that? Is it vibrant? Love to hear from you. You can text me, 877-933-2484. Maybe when I say, you know, if we gave the church a checkup, like, right, came in for an annual physical, how would the body of Christ be doing where you are? Would it be a little anemic? Would it be out of joint? Would it be limping? Would there be paralysis? Would its thinking be foggy? Would its speech be impaired? Would its neck be stiff? You see where I'm going, right? So I want you to just think for a moment about the health of the church locally. Um, The health of the church globally is different than the health of the church locally. And the church is always advancing and growing because Jesus is always growing the church. We just don't always see that right where we are. Um, But he has committed 
to growing his church and has confirmed that, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know from the book of Revelation that the church is going to be presented without blemish as a bride to her beloved. And so it's not that I'm worried about the reality of the church, big C, universal church, um, ultimate church, but I am a little worried about um, what many people experience in their local church. And so we want to continue our conversation with Jeff Christofferson. The book is Once You See. We're talking about the temptations of the Western church, and we arrive today at the temptation of pragmatism. So I want you to just think for a moment, what gets counted? What gets counted in local churches? Do people get counted? Do prayers get counted? Do answered prayers get counted? Do miracles get counted? Do offerings get counted? Do bills get counted? Do baptisms get counted? What gets counted? What are you counting? Because what you count uh, is a demonstration of what you value and how you think you're being measured. So how does God measure the church? How does Jesus measure the church? And how do we measure it in our generation? And then how are we advancing the gospel in and through the local expression of the church? So all of that is coming up next. Jeff Christofferson is going to join us. Um, yeah, and I'd love for you to just give me a sense of, you know, hey, uh, a little checkup here, a little health checkup, annual physical on the body of Christ where you live. Text me, 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Jeff Christofferson is the executive director of the Canadian National Baptist Convention. He's the executive director of the Church of Church Planting Canada. Um, he's a missiologist. He's also the author of Once You See. It is a novel approach to the conversation about the challenges we faced in, face in the Western Church today and offers kingdom correctives. It's the best book I've read this year. And so we keep talking about it because I want everyone to not just read it, but begin living into the kingdom correctives that uh, that Jeff outlined. So Jeff, thank you again for coming back. It's my pleasure, Carmen. Thanks so much for letting me. So um, let's uh, let's do the little exercise of offering maybe an annual physical report on the church. And here we'll just bring um, the Western church into view. Um, okay. and, and, you know, so we could do this like from a diagnostic approach, but I think sometimes it's just helpful, you know, to say, all right, if the church were to walk into the great physician and get a physical, um, you know, how would the body of Christ be judged right now? Aging, anemic, limping, paralyzed, stiff neck, limber, responsive, spastic, bloated, agile. You see where I'm going, right? <laughs> I don't think agile would be the word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, or, or uh, I think limping might be a good a good word, and um, and not limping in in a in a sense like we're walking with a limp and we're rejoicing in that because we understand in our weakness is God's strength. We actually are walking with a limp, but thinking we're strong, and um, and thinking nothing needs to change, and we need to just sort of keep going in the direction we have been, and um, and I think that's the worst news. 
Talk with us about pragmatism. What is it? What is tempting about it? Um, And then what's the kingdom corrective? All right. Well, pragmatism is a temptation of competition. And so um, we we speak of kind of the local brand advancements or our, our local church outranking any kind of greater kingdom revelation that that happens and when when the kingdom of god is our only goal then the advancement of our individual brand um becomes less of a thing and because of this the kingdom corrective is you know we're not celebrating we are one of the fastest growing churches when we look around and see that that actually there are less people in church now than there's ever been and so we actually choose to measure growth in different terms. And that is, I would suggest, citywide gospel impact is the most important thing. And uh, instead of the competition grasping over an evaporating market share of the evangelically predisposed, like how how do we get our piece of the pie? And uh, how do we get the Christian that's moving into the city rather than... Um, looking for the greater outcome, uh, the greater good of of gospel proximity, the distance between a person who is um, needing to hear Christ and a person willing to share Christ, and that distance closing instead of getting further and further, which has been the case for 40 years. And so um, pragmatism hasn't been helping us. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about gospel proximity. Um, I yeah. I think this is a different way of thinking for a lot of folks. Um, when you when you just described it and you asked the question, you know, is gospel proximity growing? Is it getting is it getting wider? Is the gap between people who are possessed of the spirit of the living God and know the good news of the gospel is the proximity of our lives growing? Is it getting is there a, a gap widening between us? And the people who are lost, like that's the question you're asking. And if that is. gap is getting wider, then we are failing. And uh, and you can measure it. Um, I mean, I, I think we we alluded to this earlier uh, in one of our conversations. But if you just measure the amount of people in church on a Sunday in any uh, city in North America. And um, and measure it in the year 2009, and then again in the year 2019. So in that 10-year period, while we're in the midst of, you know, before COVID, before we had that that thing, um, in 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 the good years, while we're we can measure it, that in every city in North America, save one, um, there's one outlier. The there, there's far, far less people. In some, in some cities, it's dramatic how how, how um, church growing population has evaporated. Then you throw COVID in, and then after COVID, it is just really, and um, and the one, the one outlier is is Buffalo, <laughs> and uh, and I think I mentioned that, but I'll just remind for those who weren't listening, Buffalo is a um, uh, the 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 pastor of one of the, or actually of the largest church in Buffalo, um, he was a 
transitional pastor. He he was on staff for a number of years. And then when when the senior pastor left, the first thing he did was go on an apology tour, he called it. <laughs> and he went to other churches in, in the city and said, you know, it takes an ecosystem of small churches, smaller churches to feed a mega church. And um and so I I want to apologize. And he listed the activities that their church had done. He goes, as long as I'm the pastor, you won't see us do A or B or C or D or E ever again. And I apologize for the way we've hurt you. And um, and it caused a sense of trust amongst the pastors, the leaders in Buffalo. And they said, what can we do together? And they said, well, let's do the one thing that counts. Let's bring the gospel to every man, woman, boy, and girl in, in the city of Buffalo so that with knowledge they can reject Christ or receive Christ, because right now they're rejecting Christ without knowledge. And um, and so they, they made their commitment to do that. They brought their maps out and said, we're going to do two things. We're going to start new churches to get the gospel into places where, where existing churches just aren't, and we're going to strengthen churches that aren't doing well. And so they they brought together their map and they said, let's plant a church in this area of town was kind of a needy, tough area. And someone else said, well, brother, so-and-so is is in this town, in this part of the town. He's been serving sacrificially for years. His church is struggling. Maybe we could help him. And so they went and visited brother so-and-so and said, you know, tell us your story. What do you need? And he began to share, and and three or four other churches says, "Well, we can send you people, and we can send you money, and we can." And all of a sudden, the church began to wrap their arms around one church that was actually trying to make a difference in this part of the city, and uh, and that church began to grow healthy and began to do be, become more effective in reaching their neighborhood. They said, "Let's brought out their map. Let's plant a church here." Another church said, well, that's right close to where ours is, and we'd be glad to be a part of it. I don't know if we can do it by ourselves. And so two or three other churches said, well, let's join together and do this. And so they began to work together on planting uh, a, a church. And um, and you this this selfless behavior, if you measure it over, over that period of time, because it started in 2009, and by the time 2019 came, the rest of North America, with our church growth mindset, our pragmatism, mindset of how do we compete against one another, we have diminished the body of Christ everywhere. And in Buffalo, New York, they're, they're up 27 and one half percent over that same time period. 27 and a half percent more people in church in 2019 than there was in 2009, even though the city of Buffalo has actually contracted, gotten smaller. And so you just look at the raw number and you begin to see, well, this fascination we have had with ourselves, when I say ourselves, I mean our our local church, over the kingdom of God and what Christ wants, in what's want done in a, in a community, is actually killing the witness of Christ. We're going to continue our conversation with Jeff Christofferson, but if you're thinking to yourself, I, I, want, I want a vision um, of what that can look like. I, I want to see the novel is Once You See, Seven Temptations of the Western Church, and we do have audio copies to give away today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people 
who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. We're talking with Jeff Christofferson about the health and welfare of the church. We're talking about the kingdom advancing in our generation. We're talking about um, the reality of what the church is called to be and do versus what we've all just become convinced must be the rhythm of it because it's what we've always known. Um, And so seeing ourselves for who we really are and the reality of the church for what it really is, is a challenge because We've been swimming in a particular water our whole lives. And so you may not even see the temptations of the Western church. And that's what this novel helps us do. It helps us see ourselves. So the novel is Once You See Seven Temptations of the Western Church. It is literally a novel approach to the conversation. Um, It has changed the conversation in my household. Um, And Jim and I, my husband, are trying to figure out how we provoke these kinds of conversations within uh, the community where we live, and I encourage you to do the same. And so read the book or listen to the book. We'd love to um, put you uh, at an access point for that. So if you you want a copy, text the word book to 877-933-2484. We've got some audio copies to give away today. Jeff, when you think about how how you pivot. So, okay, so you've you've told us the story of what's happening in Buffalo, and you've painted the picture in the novel, mm-hmm. and and then and then I go to church, which is a terrible thing to say, and I'm not supposed to be saying it, but that's what happens, um, right? Sunday comes, and I quote unquote go to church. Um, I'm I'm seeking to live as a kingdom person. I, I am seeking to advance the gospel in every direction, every day, in every way. Um, but still on Sunday, I go to church. Can you break me of my own, like, thinking on this? Like, I, help me, help me be helped, and then help me turn and help others, because I gotta, I gotta say, it is, um, it is discouraging to be aware of this and then still live in an environment where churches are competing. Yeah. Well, I, I think the the first point or the first step is is really open your eyes and see. Because um, I, I I I agree with you. I think we get we we swim in something and we don't even understand that there's another way. 
And uh, and when we were reading, you know, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, I mean, we read it sometimes through the lens of, of um, you know, our lens, which is skewed. And then so much of it doesn't make sense. And it's almost like, can you can you pull the lens off and see see things for just what they are? If you just look at at um, at team or body. Um, there, there's kind of five levels of it, and, um, and and the lowest is is competition. That's the very lowest, and so most of us are, or, uh, many of our churches are stuck there. We're we're at, we're literally competing with one another, not for um, the lost, but for the evangelically predisposed, and um, and so we're we're if you look at a pie chart and uh, and you look at what slice of that pie in any given community is likely to, to wake up in the morning and say, let's go to church. It's a pretty small slice. And most of our churches are in that little slice trying to compete with how do we how do we get everybody in that slice instead of the big piece of pie, the big pie that that really no one's going after. And so we compete with one another. The the second level is is a little better, I guess. I'm not sure it's called it's called coexistence. And um, and we just exist beside each other. We don't really talk with one another. We're just kind of okay. You're for Jesus. We're for Jesus. Yay! And um, and uh, and we just sit in our own silo silos. Uh, operate. There's a slightly better at, at level, and that's a third level, and that's what I would call communication. And so we begin to say, oh, well, you know, Pastor so and so in the other church is. Um, wife just had a stroke and our church is going to pray for you and uh and so we're we begin some communication there's some conversations happening between churches we're generally kind of for one another and um and we're communicating a little bit um the fifth level is cooperation and so it's like oh what what are some things that we could do actually together that would actually bring some synergy to the city uh, for the for the cause of Christ, and so they say. Well, on Good Friday, let's all have a Good Friday service together. We're going to rent the stadium, and we're going to whatever. And um, and and so we're getting better, but actually, collaboration is the step. It's even further that says it's it's what Buffalo did. How do we bring the gospel to every man, woman, boy, and girl? And you draw a circle around your city. And you say, "How? What kind of people are in this city?" And there's bikers. Okay, who who's going to bring the gospel to the biker community? And well, we've got some bikers. Not we got. Okay, let's figure out how to do that. Or we got. There's Vietnamese. Who's going to bring the the gospel to the Viet? Well, and, and you just kind of begin to to co- collaborate together, and um, and, you, and the wind becomes a totally different thing. The wind is no longer. You know we're the fastest growing church. The win is what percentage of our city knows Christ, and or is at least exposed to Christ. And um, and and so I, I think we just we just have to figure out where are we on that train of competition, coexistence, communication, cooperation, collaboration. And if we're way up on this beginning stages, the training wheels, um, maybe we need to to dive a little deeper and uh and get over pragmatism and get towards what is it that Christ wants to do in our city and um and so i think i think it doesn't take many cuz the the truth of it it resonates in people's hearts 
And so you you speak the truth, and uh, and for many pastors, they want their people. They want they would like their he- to hear this from their people because they're a bit afraid to to give this kind of leadership. And if they they begin to hear like you know we we do desire this, you might be surprised how many pastors lean in towards this. Um, it's a it's it's a beautiful description. I imagine that there are some people who are going to say all of those people should be in all of the churches and all of us should be trying to reach everyone all the time. And so this targeted approach um, where we would say, hey, this this group of Christians is actually already proximate to this group of unreached people. Um, Maybe if we could think of of this as unreached people groups in our cities, it would be easier for us to talk about. Because I think that when we start talking about, well, there's the bikers or there, um, you know, or there, uh, or there's a particular ethnic group that now has moved in, or there's a particular, or there's, you know, there's students, there's medical professionals, there's service workers. I mean, whatever group of people, and I tend to think vocationally, <laughs> as I've just described to you. Um, But there's also sort of life experience um, or particular people who have identifiable needs. Um, And if we thought of them as unreached people groups, maybe our missional minds would get engaged more actively. It's really good. I love that. Yeah. So I bring bring that up because I do think there is a, a hesitancy to put people into like to categorize them, to label them, because that makes me sound mm, like, do, do, do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. And, uh, and, and we think, you know, like, I remember, this is just speaking confessionally. I remember thinking, okay, cause I grew up Baptist or not became Baptist later in life. And, um, and so I'd think, well, Lutheran churches are for Lutherans and Methodist churches are for Methodists and Pentecostal churches are for Pentecostals and Baptist churches are for everyone. <laughs> that was honestly what I thought. <laughs> and um, it took a long time for me to realize, no, most people think Baptist churches are for Baptists. And, um, and so what is it that what, if we're, if we're trying to say, okay, we, we really want to figure out how to reach that unreached people group that are just around us. They're they're looking at our churches and thinking, well, you know, Lions Club are for Lions members, Elks Club, mm-hmm. you know, they're not they're not seeing this thing as something for them. And so we have to figure out, all right, let's let's drop our sort of swagger and um and humbly figure out what how how does the gospel fit in their worldview. And um, w- how do we need to humble ourselves? What do we need to drop so that w- there there aren't the barriers to the gospel between that unreached people group and uh, and the ears and the needs that they that they have? And so I think that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, I will confess to you that as a former uh, Methodist and former Presbyterian who is now Baptist, there is also a, an intellectualism or a socioeconomic way of thinking about one another and who belongs where in what strata as you move up or down. Mm. And um, it's, uh, it, that's a huge problem. All right, we have, to, we have to leave it right there. I love that you are willing to continue this conversation with us. We need your help. Uh, Jeff Christofferson, thank you so much. You guys, the book is Once You See. We are giving away audio copies today. Text the word book to 
eight four. I have seen, and I want you to see, so that once we all see, we can become the kingdom advancing people in this generation. We got another hour up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.